Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Blossom Media Studio are the way to go, providing you everything you need to facilitate the most expertise professional podcast out there. Welcome to the Inspiring Young Aspirers podcast. I'm your host, Billy Garton Jr., a 21-year-old entrepreneur and professional athlete. On this podcast, we'll be interviewing some of the most successful world leaders in their space in both business and sport. People who've amassed success, wealth, abundance, and most importantly, happiness, often after fighting incredible adversity. The hope is that through this podcast, we're not just going to inspire you or motivate you, but rather through the tips and hints that my guests share, spur you into action. If you're young and motivated, join me on this journey as we ignite the passion through some of the world's most inspiring stories. You know, when you wake up every day knowing exactly what you're striving for, nothing can stop you. Starting out my podcast, it was fundamental to me that I make it as professional as possible. And I could not do that without the help of podcast backdrops. Make sure you check out podcast backdrops on Instagram and put in the code BillyGarten to receive a special discount. Now let's dive into the episode. Have you ever heard the saying, everything in life is on the other side of fear? Today's guest, Mark Metry, is a 23-year-old author of a best-selling book, Screw Being Shy. He's a TEDx keynote speaker. He's been featured in Forbes, the Huffington Post, Yahoo, so many more news articles. He's the host of a global top 100 podcast, Humans 2.0. He's been featured in Amazon Prime documentary series, The Social Movement. He's got 86,000 followers on LinkedIn, which is almost (laughs) unheard of in this day and age. But it all didn't start there. It started with massive social anxiety, health issues. The man couldn't even make direct eye contact with anybody. People couldn't even have a conversation with him without him having a panic attack. Deep depression, contemplating suicide, overweight, you name it. Today we're going to talk about all things transformation, mindset, and what is needed to conquer anxiety and become a massive, massive success. Mark Metry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We are so excited to have you. Dude, I'm so hyped. I need to like hire you to introduce me or something. <laughs> well, maybe one day on a, on a stage, I'll be the one speaking before you, eh? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it, man. So Mark, I'm fascinated with, I, I really enjoy going back to people's beginning before unraveling the story. And so for the people who are listening, give a little context as to where everything started, where you actually went to school, where you were born and where you grew up. Yeah, man. So it's so strange because literally every single thing I do today for a living, whether it's being a speaker, hosting my podcast, talking about mental health, speaking up, uh, you know, scaling this movement that I've created to millions of people, literally all of that stuff is, was what I tried to run away from for the first 18 years of my life. And, you know, I think about it, if you talk to the 17, 18 year old version of me, 
and you showed him what I'm doing today, he would be like, I want to do the opposite of that and run away in the other direction. And so it's so strange that I'm doing all this stuff now, but it, it has really led me to understand so much. And, you know, I've gone through so many different problems, but, you know, ultimately for me, you know, I, you know, I live in the East coast of America. I grew up in Massachusetts, Boston, and uh, I'm the son of immigrants. My parents came to this country from Egypt with $200 in their pocket, didn't even know how to speak English. And they were just like, screw it. We're going to come over here because we're going to give our, our kids a better life. Yeah. And so they came over here. Um, and I remember coming to America or not coming to America. I was born in America. I remember being born and in sort of the first years of us being here, just seeing like the craziest stuff. Like I, I grew up in section eight housing, government assisted, so many, so many drugs, so many robberies, so many shootings, um, so much different stuff that tends to skew negative, but I also, I got a lot of good, but, but honestly, despite that in the first part of my life, even though it was very hectic, we were moving around a ton, didn't really get to see my parents a lot cause they were working. Uh, having a lot of like various influences. I remember, I remember being chased by cops once. Um, <laughs> but but despite that, it seemed like totally normal uh, yeah. to me. And uh, for me, like the real when I look back on my life, that I think really changed things was, you know, at that time I mostly lived in the inner city where a lot of people, a lot of different people from different cultures, black, Latino, all sorts. And my parents got better jobs. And so we moved out of the inner city yeah. and we moved into a more kind of rural suburban area of America, super small town, 5,000 people in this town. Yeah. And um, the really interesting part about this town was there was uh, no racial diversity whatsoever. Everyone there was Caucasian, my family, and maybe I think one other family uh, looked different physically than yeah. everyone else. Yeah. And so I remember at this time and, and like also, you know, in America, 2001, 9-11 happened. Absolutely. I'm Middle Eastern. And so I was living in this period where it was America after 9-11. And, you know, in terms of like racism, Middle Easterns, Arabs, we really got, got hit with it uh, a lot at that time. And so I remember just like going to school and just getting destroyed by people who were extremely racist, abusive. How old were you at this time? I think I uh, was in third grade, so... So you were like seven years old, were you? Or something? Yeah, I was like seven, eight, nine, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, I just remember ex being just put in this environment where people were just extremely rude, offensive, uh, harmful to me for no reason, just because of I looked different, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I remember at that time, that is really where a lot of different things began to happen where I just remember slipping into this mentality without even really knowing it of just like every time I stepped into a classroom, every time I walked down a hallway, every time I had to speak to someone, my brain would just tell me to like run, to hide, to look down. Nobody wants to, to hear you talk. You, you suck. People out here are better than you. And so that was literally this mentality and, and over the years it got worse and it really got to the point where I just literally couldn't talk to people. And, and it's so strange to think about it now, but you know, I had social anxiety to the point where 
literally couldn't talk to people like what you said in the intro of couldn't have a conversation without having a panic attack. That was me. And so I decided to just not talk to people. And so it's really strange because I slipped into this area of my life for about like a decade, 10 years where I just had no friends. And, and, you know, any of the, the friends that I did have, any of my family members, you know, the real destructive part about social anxiety is that it makes you feel like you have to hide it from everyone, even the people that you love the most time, and spend right? the most time with. And so, and so, yeah, you know, the, the way that I dealt with this though, you know, I'm, I did, a, I'm sure I did a lot of terrible things. Um, but on the good side is, um, I remember I got on the internet at a very young age. I remember I was like 11, 12, got on the internet. I remember I had a YouTube channel when I was like 12, 13 about video games. Yeah. I remember I had like a Twitter account. I began to to just like explore on the internet. That led me to like learning how to code apps like when the iPhone came out, learning how to make websites, wow. doing all the stuff at a super, uh, super young age. And, um, and so I just like started to like randomly experiment with various like ventures. I was like 14, yeah. 13, 14, 15. Um, one of my ventures kind of popped off. It was, um, it was this Minecraft server that I had created when I was like 15 and it literally became the world's number one Minecraft server. Wow. I started making six figures and I'm like, I'm a poor kid. I'm just playing this game. Next thing I know this is happening. So that completely changed my life, not just literally, not just like my socioeconomic status and my family's life, but it also changed like my mind and how I thought about life in both good and bad ways. So yeah, man, it's, it's been a crazy journey. There's been so many, I'm like, that's not even it. And then after that, when I was like 18, went to college, yeah. that's where I fell down at, at rock bottom. And, yeah. you know, previously up to this moment, in my life, everything I told you, like for the last 15 minutes, I had no idea that was going on in my life. Yeah. And so like one, you know, a, a theme that I have learned that is so important is this theme of conscious awareness. It, it's, it's this theme of if you don't know about something, if you're not aware of it, how can you change it? Absolutely. And if you literally asked me at 18, Hey, dude, do you have social anxiety? Do you have anxiety? I would have said, no, I don't have that. And so that's not because I was trying to deny that, but I just literally didn't know. And like the best way to visualize this is, um, you know, David Foster Wallace, he wrote an essay about this and it's, it's, um, it's highlighting this illustration, this image of two goldfish swimming in a pond. And one goldfish says to the other goldfish, Hey, you know, how do you like the temperature of the water? And the other goldfish says, wait, what's water? And so if you think about that, this goldfish doesn't know what water is, but yet it is constantly surrounded by water throughout all times during the day, 24 seven, never leaves it. And even though the goldfish doesn't know that the water exists, what happens if a goldfish tries to swim above water? It can't. It tries to hop and it goes back down. It tries to go back down. It's a limitation. And so what I have learned about the human mind is that whatever you are surrounded in most, whether that's fear, whether that's anxiety, whether that's entitlement, you are going to be surrounded by it and it's going to control your life. And you may have no idea. 
And so there are so many people out there from kids to teenagers to, to even like young adults who are going through living their lives in this anxious way that is causing them to be depressed, that is causing them to not actually be their authentic selves and is literally causing this inside destruction within them. And like, I'll tell you, when I was 18 and I was making the most amount of money I've ever made in my life by doing something that I actually enjoyed doing, it's not something I hated, yeah. I was probably the most depressed, the most anxious. Uh, I started to use food as a coping mechanism. Next thing I know, I'm obese. Next thing I know, I'm suicidal. I'm walking the streets of my city, Boston, in the worst areas at night, hoping that some guy tries to walk up to me and mug and try to kill me because I was just in so much pain that I wanted it all to end. And so, I, yeah, it's been a crazy journey, but I've just, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I've gone through my life and I'm just like, wow, mental health, man, is so important because so, so important. you can have so much money and it, it doesn't matter. And like on my podcast, I've had people from the co-founder of Netflix to billionaires that have said like, yo, when I had $350 million in my bank account and everyone around me loved me and respected me, I was still suicidal. And it, it just like plunged me into this rabbit hole of like, you know, how do we improve the, the experience, the fidelity uh, of reality, of yeah. someone's subjective experience? And there are, there are extremes to that. There's the extreme of being suicidal, anxious, depressed, and there's also extremes to that on the good side as well. And so, and so yeah, man, it's been a crazy journey. And um, well, educating yeah, that's people, <laughs> right? Educating people is obviously one, which I think has become more of a prevalent issue in the past few years is educating people on the fact that, like you said, you can have a group of such loving surroundings and you can have the most success in the world, but sometimes it, it doesn't really matter. And so what you said there about conscious awareness, I think I really want to touch on. I had a guest yesterday yeah. who was talking about, he said, he referred to it in a different way. He said, you can't solve any problem or, or achieve your full potential if you don't go to the root of the problem. And so you said Truth, earlier bro. about this bullying that you experienced after 9-11 around that time when there was racism and you were in that area. Going through it, what I'm curious to know is going through it until you finally have ended all of this anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts were you ever conscious that this was the root of the problem no never ever ever and and i'll tell you man and first off whoever you had on as a guest is is a legend because that's the truth and you know like as a side note for example when i wanted to write this book screw being shy about social anxiety about people who experienced this i read i read a ton of books and to be honest with you not a lot of them talked about the root cause. And for me as someone who's a podcaster and I've had hundreds of people sit in front of me and talk to me about things, I know who's full of crap and I know who is truthful. And I know if you don't talk about the root cause, you're not really truthful. And so here's, here's what I'll tell you, man. I think truth starts in your mind. And what I mean is this, so many of us, go throughout our lives and it usually starts as kids where we are not in line with the truth. And what I mean by that is this, as a kid, you know, you, you know, your parents, the experiences around you, they teach you the morals. They teach you, Hey, do this. Hey, don't do this. And as we take these lessons and we go throughout our lives, we try to apply those lessons and we learn, Hey, 
this is the way I should do something or, Hey, you know, in life, I was faced with a difficult decision. There were two forks in the path and I chose to go on one or the other. And I faced the natural consequence of doing either or whether that's good or bad. And in terms of the truth, this is where things can get tricky. And what I mean is this, right? So let's say you're a little kid and uh, you're like eight years old. And let's say that, you know, you have a rule in your household that your parents, your family set, and they said, hey, you know, you can't eat dessert before you have dinner. Okay, seems like a pretty rational rule. Um, and, And let's say that, you know, you know, this rule exists, but you're like, (laughs) <laughs> Man, I, I, I know there are some cookies on top of those fridge, you know, or I know there's a ice, there's a pint of ice cream waiting for me in the freezer. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're home, you're downstairs, your mom is upstairs, no one's looking at you. You have this moment to yourself where you make a decision. And it, let's say you go, you go to the freezer, you get the ice cream, you just start, you start eating that. And the next thing you know, you hear your mom coming downstairs and you're like, oh crap. And you put it back. And, and then like your mom comes up and, and you're like, and you're like, Hey, how are you? And I'm like, you're probably, your mom probably knows that you just ate a ton of ice cream because moms have superpowers and they can tell, <laughs> um, especially with their kids. But you know, your mom basically knew you ate ice cream. She asks you like, Hey, Billy, did you, did you eat some ice cream? And now you have a decision of the truth. It's either tell my mom the truth and you know, for example, like if, if, if your parents did not place, and everyone has this problem, even if you had great parents, but if your parents did not place an emphasis on being honest, on being truthful always, no matter the consequences, and it's more of like, hey, don't do this. If you do this, you're screwed. And, and you, you have this culture in your house of like trying to hide things from each other. But a lot of the times what will happen is, you know, your mom will ask you, hey, Billy, did you eat the ice cream? you can either tell the truth, which may be really scary because you're like, oh, I love my mom. I don't want her to get upset at me. Or in that moment, you could decide to lie to feel better about whatever, I guess, at least in the present moment. You lie and your mom's like, okay, whatever. He's just a kid. (laughs) It's not really about what your mom thinks. And so I, I talk about this because what I have learned is Every single time in your life when you are faced with this decision of telling the truth or lying, whether that's to the people around you or to yourself, you have created an alternate version of reality where you now value your mom's opinion or whoever you just lied to over your own opinion of the truth of what just happened. And so you create a reality where that is the truth of your reality where other people's opinions matter more to you because you just lied and you just broke your own moral code to get them to think better about you, which is really manipulation if you really think about yeah. that. And so that's how it starts. And we'll go throughout our entire lives warping this version of the truth. And a lot of the times what happens is then you start to lie to yourself. You lie to yourself again and again and again and again to the point where you don't even know you're lying anymore. And you're just shoving things to the back of your head and you're not consciously aware of them at all. If that happens to you, this is how you essentially warp your life and you don't even live your true life. Because what happens is 
you know, what do you think is going to happen if you're constantly lying, you're constantly creating these alternate realities, you're going to be living a life that is not true to you. If you're living a life that is not true to yourself, why would you try? Why would you be motivated to do better? Why wouldn't you do drugs? Why wouldn't you screw around and do whatever to feel something? And so a lot of times what you see is you see these people, these teenagers, these young adults, and even older adults that grow up and they have unconsciously been lying to themselves their entire life to the point where they don't know how to recognize truth in their own life. If they don't know how to recognize truth in their own life, then they're disassociated from their own life and they will do whatever they want to do to be stimulated, to experience some low level sense of pleasure so that they can feel something in their life. And so a lot of the times, this is how conscious awareness gets distorted in our lives. And then aside from that, it's a very normal theme that conscious awareness is your consciousness is, is something that's delayed in your life. It comes later. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the story of Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, if you like Pinocchio, like, for example, like, you know, he has his conscious, which is represented by a cricket and this, this, this wooden boy, he's walking around and he's running around. He meets people that want to take advantage of him and his consciousness is late to the party. And so a lot of the times what happens is we meet people in our lives who usually at a young age, who didn't have the, the right parents as we did. They didn't have the right moral code and they tempt us and they persuade us. And so that's like probably one of the biggest things that I would say to someone if they want to understand the, the truth of who they are and understand the real um, conscious awareness. Because like, you know, here's the second thing that I'll tell you. I think it's very easy for us to sit and think about trying to be more conscious. But at the end of the day, I don't think that you can actually think your way to conscious awareness. I don't think that's possible. I think conscious awareness comes from emotions, comes from your feeling, comes from being in the present moment. And personally for me, unless you want to talk about traumatic experiences in my life, I don't think I was ever in the present moment of my life until I began to meditate. And, you know, I, I know that I feel, I feel like you've talked about meditation. Meditate. I've seen it before I've on your Instagram. Recently, yeah. And I'd love to pick you Dude. more as well. Dude. Well, well, let's go into that because it's related to, to what I just said. And this it. is how it's related. Right. So, so this is it. So our mind is like a bridge, right? Okay. Our mind, our reality is like a bridge. Okay. And depending on if your bridge has been truthful, your mind has been living in truth. It'll be a flat bridge, right? Because that's how a bridge mostly works. You know, a bridge is not like that. It's not warped because it has to allow vehicles and people to cross. And so that's the way that our mind works. And if you look at a bridge, it's not just like a road, right? There are, there are support structures underneath. There are beams that hold up this bridge. The bridge is not just randomly magically floating there. There are, there's support. And so that support is multiple different things. That is, of course, like the people you surround yourself with. That is your brain's health. You know, a lot of people, they, they focus a lot about their, on their mindset, but they don't focus about their brain health. 
they they eat like crap they don't go to sleep well they exercise terribly their brain isn't getting enough vitamin d because they're not outside enough and so that's an aspect of it your beliefs um your your habits all these things that sort of help your mind prop up in good bad ways and so throughout our lives this bridge is being built whether we know it or not right like when you're when you're a kid you don't say hey i'm gonna form my mind no your mind is something that automatically starts and so a lot of these bridges a lot of these support systems these beams that are supporting the bridge a lot of them have been there from a long time in your life and some of those may be wrong some of those may be right and so for me when i began to meditate that is where i truly began to get consciously aware of my life because i think it's cool that you know if you want to think about conscious awareness but in order for your brain to truly be in the present moment i i personally believe unless like you're gifted you you have to meditate and the reason why is because throughout our entire lives we are in this constant feedback loop between the internal world and the external world and the best way that i think about this is with like a um is like with your iphone in the perspective of like your iphone is your internal world and the external world is when you take a charger and you plug it into the wall so the wall is the external world your iphone is your internal world and so throughout our entire lives the wall is pumping information into us we're learning um you know we're learning and we're making all these new connections you know for example like going back to the truth example of hey i learned that if i lie to my mom i get a cookie and i can get away with it um you know let's say that you know like you you have parents and they want you to do really well in school and so every time they tell you that every time you get a good grade we're going to give you a cookie and so you build a, a connection in your head that's like food equals love when i do something good i get food i get validation this is also how a lot of people who are obese and have food addiction problems this is how a lot of them start it's with these false connections that they create and so we have all sorts of these connections some of some of us or rather some of them we know about them other ones we have no idea and so when you meditate and you disconnect from the external environment that is one of the very very few times in your life maybe other than like sleep where you are going to be disconnected from the external environment when you close your eyes when you're focusing on the present moment that is when the internal your internal world gets to be by itself and when you are emerged in this practice essentially what happens is because you have this level of stillness you have this level of solidarity what happens then is you begin to gain clarity and you begin to gain clarity in the present moment and what you begin to realize is like hey that connection that my head is constantly telling me might actually be wrong you know because i know that the average human being has 60,000 thoughts a day and you know like for example will smith he's talked about the fact that like if you look at a movie script and you look at hey you know it says Chris is going to say this line here, Rodney is going to say this line here. That's the way that our minds work but with our lives. Our minds architect these 60,000 thoughts 
And that is how we literally create like the movie script of our lives. That's what controls people's behavior. And so these thoughts and these beliefs, these ideas, these connections that you've made to go back to the bridge analogy, these are all the support systems underneath that you formed your entire life. And when you meditate, you start to be like, wow, some of those are crap. Some of those are not real. Some of those are mine. So for example, a big thing for me was, you know, I, I obviously I had a very low self-esteem. I had no confidence in myself. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that I began to uncover once I started meditating was I learned that our brain is a survival organ and any kind of survival organ, it prioritizes dangerous information first. So like, for example, this is, this can be good to like the FBI, right? Like if you're the FBI and you're like looking at everyone's phones, everyone's text messages, conversations, you're not going to focus on the people texting about getting tacos on Thursday. You're going to focus on the, you know, the potential terrorist threat that you have that says, Hey, we're going to like bomb this area. Right. Yeah. And so when it comes to our brain and how it gets this information, it, it does the same exact thing. And so for example, like for me, you know, I was called, um, you know, I was called the, the N word so many times I was told that I was just going to be some homeless person because my parents didn't come from money and, and all these different things. And so what happened was my brain heard this dangerous survival information at the beginning of my life. And it's like, whoa, that's valuable information, even though it's not. Yeah. It takes it, it puts it in my mind, it adds it in as, as a support beam. And you live your entire life and you have these thoughts that aren't even yours, that are constantly coming in your head every single day that keep you where you are, you know? And, and I, I realized that so many people called me a loser in my life that eventually I did become a loser because my mind believed that. And it told me that every single day. And so, you know, it's one thing to conceptually understand everything I just said of like, Oh, I, I get it. Like, Hey, your thoughts are this, but I think when this conceptual, it moves past just like the theoretical, and it gets into like actually someone listening to this, understanding it and applying in their life, that's meditation. It bridges that gap before knowing and, and seeing. And like the last thing that I'll say is it bridges that gap because if you meditate every day, whether that's in the morning or in the afternoon at night for whatever amount of time that you want to dedicate to it, this is what you realize. You realize very quickly that the point of meditation is not about clearing your mind. The point of meditation is not for you to just like, just like chill out and just like be in the clouds and get high in your brain. The point of meditation is for you to sit down with yourself in the darkness within your own thoughts. Because what happens is when you're able to do that on a daily basis and you're sitting down and you meditate and you know, you're trying to be in the present moment, you're trying to focus. And then all of a sudden you get a thought that says, Yo, Billy, bro, why, why are you wasting your time meditating? You got to get up and you got to hustle, bro. You got, you got so many things to do. Or you're meditating, you're sitting down there, and then your mind is like, oh, I, I, I totally forgot to send that text message to a friend of mine. Oh, it's not going to be a big deal if I just pull out my phone real quick and I send that text message. Or it's like, oh, I forgot to write something down on my to-do list. Let me stop meditating or, or like, let me think about this for a while and, and do that. And so that is a totally normal occurrence. 
that happens when you meditate. But what happens is when you see that happen in your brain every single day, you understand literally that our mind is like the ocean. You know, like you, you go out on the beach all the time on your Instagram story <laughs> and, you, and you sit there, you sit there, man, and you look at the waves. What happens? It's one wave after the other, after the other. Another wave crashes, another wave crashes, another wave crashes, another wave crashes. It never ends. You know, maybe during low tide or high tide, the waves may get smaller or bigger, but the waves never end. And that's the way it works with the thoughts in our brain. And so essentially the reason why I say that is because when you are in like the middle of the, your day and you're in the middle of a meeting and you know, you're in the present moment, but then all of a sudden you start to think about something totally different and it takes you out of that present moment and you're lost. Maybe you get anxious as a result of that. When you have built a meditation practice daily, you see this practice, you see this simulation happening where you're sitting down for 10, 20 minutes a day and you're seeing your brain, you're seeing your mind constantly bring up these struggles, these thoughts, one after the other, the other, the other. And you realize that they never really go away. So you have that real simulation, what I would say. And then in the middle of the day or later in the day, when those negative thoughts come in and haunt you, you have the understanding of your meditation practice and what you've learned of like, Oh, this is just a wave. This is just a wave. Oh, this is just a wave. This is not, you know, a personal attack. My, you know, my brain convincing me that I'm about to die is not real. It's just a wave. And, and like, that is the bridge that meditation helps you get. It's very hard for someone to get a thought like that and, and be able to, um, to, to surf over it. So to speak, you, rather than to get trapped. How do you let those thoughts come and go then if they feel so pressing that if you let them go, you'll forget and then they'll come up two days later and that thought might re-enter your head and you're like, shit, like I forgot to write that down or I forgot to do that. And then it could almost have an, an even worse effect on your brain. It's like, I should have done that two days ago. How do you let those thoughts come and go and consciously be like, because I'm, I resonated so much with what you just said because I've only recently gotten into meditating and you're exactly right. You sit down and it's like, why are you wasting your time doing 10 minutes of this? Or, or, yeah. or at least I just have to, because otherwise I'll forget, I'll, I'll get up in the middle of my meditation. I'm going to write this down and then I'm going to come back to meditating, which interrupts the whole thing. And then you feel like you have to start over, but then you don't have enough time. So it's like, I'll just meditate for two minutes. Exactly. You know? So how do you allow those thoughts to come and go and just consciously accept that? Like if I forget, I'll forget. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is what I said. So there's like this Buddhist proverb and it says, if you feel like you can't sit down and meditate for 15 minutes, you should probably sit down and meditate for an hour. And basically it's meant to kind of like not make fun of, but to kind of like show like, if you are a kind of person who, I promise I, I love you. I'm not trying to like offend you, but no, you're right. if you if you are a kind of person who is asking that kind of question, that means that you need to meditate. Because what I have realized is people who, and again, you know, this, take this as my opinion. This is a grain of salt. But people who are, are like asking questions like, oh, how do I remember this little thing and that thing? They are, they are trying to control their lives way too much. And there are certain seasons of your life where you may need to do that. But personally for me and, and a lot of other entrepreneurs that I know who have been extremely successful, they have this balance of like control and independence and them kind of doing what they've got to do. 
But then they also have this balance of, of like surrendering, of realizing that you can't focus on things that you can't control. And so my answer to your question would be, if it really is that important of a, um, I would answer your question two ways. If it really is that important, you're probably going to remember it. And if it's not, then it's not. The second thing that I would say is there are many, many ways and forms of meditation. So like the one that I mentioned where you close your eyes and you focus on your breath in the present moment, that's generally referred to as like mindfulness meditation. There are many different forms. You know, like I do a combination of that with transcendental meditation through this program that I took called Ziva meditation, which I highly recommend for everyone out Ziva? there. Z-I-V-A. I-V-A. Ziva. Yeah. And then the, the second thing that I would say is like, there's also a different form of meditation and it's, a, it's, it's called thinkitating. And essentially what that is, is, you know, whether that's in the beginning of your day or at the end of the day, that is a meditation that's like for five minutes, 10 minutes, where you literally do that. You sit down, you close, you get your brain in a state of mind. And then once you're in an open state of mind enough, you open your eyes and you start writing down things. I do that a lot. And I'll, I'll tell you this, right? So there's a lot of different ways to meditate. Something that I have learned is I will meditate. Personally, for me, I'm someone who meditates for like 15, 20 minutes in the morning. If I have like a really heavy week going on, that's really stressful. I'll meditate twice in the day once in the morning and once in the afternoon. But what I'll do is the last like two to five minutes of my meditation, I will, I will just let my brain wander. I won't try to control it. I won't try to be in the present moment. And that for me personally, that's where my brain has just been in this deep state of meditation. And then I kind of open it up and I say, Hey, you can do whatever you want. You can think about whatever it is you want to do. You can wander about whatever it is you want to do. And when you do that, then that gives your brain the permission to then immediately after remember and, and think about the notes that you did. Because like, for example, I used to do only mindfulness meditation, which is just in the present. I didn't do transcendental and I didn't do the thinkitating, which is more free form. And what I found was by me trying to sit down and meditate and essentially I'm trying to control my thoughts. When you do that, depending on the kind of person who you are, like, like your point to what you said, that may, they may have what I, what I call the, the rubber bandaid effect of you take a bandaid and you try to control your thoughts. You control your thoughts, you control your thoughts, you control your thoughts, you control your thoughts. But then eventually the tension, the stress on the band gets too tight. Yeah. And you have to let go. And then that'll cause you to think, 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 think. And so what I found is if you can start off with mindfulness and then the last part of the last section of your meditation, the last two to five minutes of your meditation, let your brain free, let your brain think about whatever it is that you want to think about. Generally speaking for me, I found in that last part, that's where you get more creative and kind of do it. And in terms of like the timing what I would say is, um, you know, a lot of people use like timers on their phone and stuff. I think that's fine to start off with, but I think what I would tough. say is, I think that's tough. I've tried to use it and you, your brain again, it's another subconscious thing where it goes, I'm waiting for the timer to run out and waiting for the timer. Exactly. Exactly. So like, yeah, I don't know if you can do it, but over time your brain learns time and it's like, Hey, I'm going to meditate for 15, 20 minutes. And now I like somehow my eyes open up right when it's like one second about to ring in the timer. 
So wow. you can train your brain like that. It just takes a little bit of time. So if you want to use a timer to start off, that's fine. But eventually it's better to take it off. Let's talk about the power of sort of consistency with meditation and learned meditation because yeah, I think what I'm learning from, from you and other people and even from my own experience meditating is that you have to sort of see it like a sport or like something that you've never tried before. I think a lot of people, and I was this at first, where you do it for three days and then you just decide, ah, I'm not good at it or, or I hate it or it's, it's, not, not, it's not for me, you know? And I was like that as well. I've, do, I've been like that many times. I've probably tried to meditate since I was like 15 and you just can't because you feel like, oh, I'm getting distracted. Meditation just mustn't be my way of going about it. So touch a little bit on yeah. like how you first got into it and, and maybe the consistency, just so people can understand yeah. that like it's not, it's not, you're not just going to go straight into it and have this perfect rhythm of, of meditation. Yeah. So honestly, what I would say is one is you need to get real clear on your expectations behind it, right? Because all the time we form unconscious expectations about how things should be. Yeah. And if you have had sort of a, like, same as me, a false understanding of what meditation is, is like, for hippies, for, for like monks on top of mountains, there's like, huh, and they're just like floating <laughs> in the clouds. You need to get that out of your head because if you talk to any experienced meditation teacher, what they will tell you is it's like going to the gym. Like I know for me, when I go to the gym, usually every day, I know that it's going to suck. Like I know that I'm going to be in pain. I know that there are going to be times where I'm like, I need to leave <laughs> and I'm not yeah. motivated and I have to go. So like, that's the way that I would view it. Um, the number two thing that I would say is, you know, I would say like definitely just try your best to get started. Like I remember when I got started, I used the Headspace app. There's so many apps out yeah. there. Um, I recommend the program that I mentioned, Ziva Meditation. Yeah. Um, totally recommend it. And um, and you should have the founder on this podcast, by the way. Her What's name is name? Emily Fletcher. Emily. Emily Fletcher. Fletcher. Yeah. Uh, maybe I can introduce you. She's dude. She's a she's like a she's a baller. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, so that's part of it. And then also, you know, I remember, um, I remember when I met up with, uh, Jay Shetty before this whole COVID thing in March in New York city, one of the things that he told me was it is really important to actually learn how to meditate because yeah, you can do the apps. I think that program is great, but I definitely think like meditation is something that if you have the opportunity to, um, to, to, to buy, to hire, to try to get like more serious about it. That is a skill that, that is going to pay off dividends uh, in your life. Um, and so, yeah. And, and like, the truth is, is that I definitely like personally for me, I could definitely go through seasons where meditation is so difficult. I go through other seasons where it's not that hard, but almost oh, like, I feel like almost, you know, I've been meditating for every day for like four years now. I want to say almost every single morning when I wake up, there is a part of my brain that says, dude, don't meditate, <laughs> dude, yeah. go do something else. And, and like, that's just the truth. And that's because like the mind never wants to be left alone. Never, ever, ever, ever. Like there's that quote that says, um, I believe a person can fix most of their problems if they sit inside of a room by themselves for a couple hours. And it really just goes to show you how, so many of us are, are avoiding our own thinking. Now, I will have to counter this and say that 
I definitely don't think that meditation is for every single person on the planet. Two examples that come to mind are if you have like really, really, really hardcore ADHD and you've never done anything to treat it, then this may be difficult for you. And and like what I'll say is like, you know, uh, like I've had various neuroscientists on my show. We've talked about ADHD. Like we know that if you have ADHD, you can improve that by, um, you know, changing your diet, adding some things in, taking some things out. So if you haven't done any of that stuff and you're just sort of like a, like a raw ADHD brain, you, you don't exercise, you don't do anything that can help with that, then meditation may be impossible for you. The second thing is um, if, you have like, uh, if you have like PTSD, yeah. if you like when you close your eyes, you get flashbacks, then, then I would not do meditation unsupervised. So, I mean, other than like those two very, very rare, um, you know, scenarios, or I say uncommon, yeah. uh, I think meditation is for everyone, but you know, everyone can do whatever they want. And it's not like it hurts my life if people don't meditate. I don't yeah. have a meditation app to send people <laughs> towards. Yeah. Well, let's pivot a little bit then, because I, I remember when you, when we first started this talk, you were talking about letting other people's opinions or letting things that people tell you shape your reality and one of the biggest things again that i've learned from all the guests that i've had on and again just throwing myself in here in the entrepreneurial world is that it's so easy to let your other people shape your reality if in your own head you don't know where you want to go or where you want to be and so i want to ask you when these other people were getting into your head and making you feel like you're a loser and making you feel like you're not on the same level as them or better than them, did you in your own head know where you wanted to be? And when you started to understand where you actually wanted to go with your life and what you wanted to do, is that where you felt a pivot or a change? Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an interesting question, man. Um, so the first one, no, I had I had no idea what I was <laughs> what I was doing with my life. I didn't have any goals or anything like that, um, or like a future I wanted to create for myself. And I totally agree with what you said. Is you know, if you haven't defined a life, a goal for yourself, the people around you will automatically do that for you, just like osmosis and water and particles. And on top of um, that, sorry, before you continue, I think ahead. I think not just not only will they define that someone will define it but then a week later someone will tell you something else and that goal will change and then two days later someone will tell you something else and you'll start thinking well do i really want that or do i want something else and i i'm speaking from personal experience yeah but anyway continue no for no for sure i totally agree and um you know i think for me like i um i had an interesting conversation about this with a friend of mine and uh, i'm gonna i'll take this in a different direction um I think a lot of this has to do with the ego that we have created yeah. during our lives. Um, and so, you know, there's just to like, take a step back here. A lot of people say like, what is the ego? A lot of people think that, you know, you're like, if you're living egoically, it means that you're like overly confident or you're bragging. That's not necessarily what living in your ego means. Living in your ego means that the survival part of your brain that we've been talking about for a while on the show, that creates an identity that gets formed for individuality and autonomy. 
right? Like, so for example, if you, if someone deleted their ego, they wouldn't be a human being because they couldn't control themselves. And so we all need this natural balance of our ego because it's literally what makes us human beings. And so the reason why I mentioned the ego is the ego is all about identity. Right. It's all about identity. And when you think about someone's self-esteem, you think about someone's self-confidence, how they view about their own identity, humans are psychosocial creatures. So we have learned throughout the years that our environment is not just the mountains and the houses and the wallpaper. The environment is also people and their identities and, and my identity within a bigger group of identities and within a group, whether that's your family, your religion, your culture. And so we all form this sense of, of an ego, our ego sense of an identity. Right. I'll give you some different examples. So for example, like your ego could get formed when you're a kid in school. And for example, you, you try out for the baseball team and you know, let's say you guys are trying out and, and, and like you, you hit a, you hit a home run, you hit a grand slam. Next thing you know, the coach is coming up to you and he's like, yo, Billy, that was insane. And I've never seen anyone do that. that. You're like literally the best baseball player I've ever seen in my life. And you're like, wait, really? <laughs> and then, and then, and then, and then your coach goes to your dad when your dad comes and picks you up. And he's like, yo, your son, Billy, he's got some insane talent. Like I would keep an eye on, on him. And you join the baseball team and then you constantly talk with your dad and your dad constantly talks with you about baseball. And he's like, Billy, like, make sure you, you know, you, you, you crush it in today's game. I'm yeah. going to come watch you. Make sure you crush it. Make sure you crush it. What happens is you then create this identity where you are receiving validation from the outside world based on this one narrow identity that you've created, which is being the best baseball player. What happens then when you break your leg? When you break your leg and you're sitting down and you can't do the thing that you wanted to do, you can't play baseball, all of a sudden you have no idea who you are anymore. You have no idea who your identity is. You see this happen so often and with you know, athletes. It's wild that you're saying this right now. I had another guest on yesterday. The exact thing happened, but with soccer. He wanted his whole identity was was everybody around him. Go kill it. You're gonna be a pro athlete. You're gonna be a pro soccer. Player. You're gonna question. go D one soccer. Yeah. Who is he? What's his name? Sam Demmer. Dude, Sam Demmer's a friend of mine. Oh, he was on your podcast. That's why. And I was on his podcast. We met up in Toronto. He's yeah, a great guy. Great guy. And uh, yeah, he obviously you know he tore his meniscus three times and and his whole reality was transformed. But nobody knew that he had this this other part of him as an entrepreneur and as a public speaker. But anyway, I think that's yeah. incredible that you're saying it now after just less than 12 hours ago, that was the whole conversation <laughs> we had, but continue. Yeah. And like, just real quick, a different example of this is like, you know, you, you study super hard and in your family, in your house, the, the main objective is grades. Like that for me was a big thing. Like my parents saw me like, Mark, if you like, you have to get good grades. Cause like from an immigrant's perspective, that's how you get out of poverty. You go through the education system, you get a degree, you get a salary, a steady job, whatever. And so that for me was the job, but I got terrible grades. And so someone, for example, can build their ego in, um, in, in like getting the best grades and they study all night and they freaking bleed to death on a test just to get their actually the, the validation and love from their parents. 
that are going to see that good grade. And so essentially what happens is we create these egos. We create these mini identities within us. And there are some pros and there are some cons to these. Now, to answer your question, this is where people get tricked up because this is what happens, right? People start to like see you doing this thing and they start to feed you into this. So for example, you just started a podcast. For all you know, your ego may start to get attached to this podcast. And you know, you, you're like, yo, I'm Billy. I'm the best podcast host. I'm the best interviewer or like whatever that is for you. And well, like, thank you. you know, every, <laughs> yeah. And like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, what I'm saying is like, what happens if your podcast downloads go down? You know, there is the real, there's a difference. There's the emotional reaction to that. There is you feeling like you're a light, you're a freaking failure because of that. And then there's like the rational, like objective neutral approach of like, Hey, my downloads went down. What can I do in terms of marketing to improve this situation? And so if you are constantly in this, you know, area where you're being knocked down by people, it's because of that. It's because you are being consumed by the drug of validation for good purposes or for bad purposes. So do you and believe that you happen- have to take emotion out of every decision then? Because Gary no, V talked no. about, he's, Gary V says things so. like, I don't get too high when people tell me I'm the best and I don't get too low when people tell me I'm not. How do you see that then in terms of, because I, again, am a, am a culprit of this. I'm one minute, me I'm too. the best digital marketer in the world because I smashing it with all my clients. The next minute I lose two clients within an hour and it's like, I suck. Like, should I just give up this business? So where do you see that? Yeah. So this is, so I think what Gary Fee said of, I don't let, I don't like let people who are trying to gas me up, totally gas me up and people hate me. I, I agree with that. Um, but here's what I would say though. It is a combination of you realizing that that's just not your identity. So I don't, I think it's impossible to make decisions without emotion because if you actually look at it, what governs our present moment is our emotions. Like, that's just the truth. Like you feel like doing something or you don't. Um, and so the biggest thing is like, you, like you have to, you have to understand and not build your identity around that from the perspective of like, like, for example, Gary V has said this a lot of like, he is not necessarily the best CEO. He's not necessarily the best uh, marketer. I don't even think he said that he's not, he doesn't claim he's the best, whatever, but what he will, but what he does say is he says that he's the best at impacting people. You know, he says that, I'm not going to be Jeff Bezos. I'm not going to make the most money, but I am going to impact the most people. And so what I would say is you have to find a legitimate anchor to ground your identity in. The truth is, man, is that you're not the best marketer. I'm not the best marketer. Gary Vee is not the best marketer. There's always going to be somebody better than you. And so, yeah, it's fine to say these things to hype yourself up. But the truth is, is that when you engage with that, that is also going to be your downfall. So for example, you see this happen a lot uh, with girls on Instagram. You see a girl who she's very fit. She looks beautiful, but then like, you know, she, she like moves like this. And then all of a sudden you can see like a, like a fat roll. And then she looks at that and she's like, Oh my God. uh, uh, Like, like I'm gonna like people are gonna find out about me. I'm I'm gonna lose all my followers. I'm so ugly. Oh wait, but this chick over here has so many more followers. The fact is, is she has grounded her identity 
in looking beautiful. And, and for me personally, I have decided to ground my identity in things that I know are true and will never change. So for example, a lot of people call me and it's like, it's in my Instagram bio and it's, and it's the truth of like labeling it neutrally versus my ego of like, yeah, I am a best-selling author. Yeah, I am a top 100 podcast host. Yeah, I am uh, a consultant. Yeah, I am on an Amazon Prime documentary series. But, but I don't like in my head, that's not how I look at myself. I'm like, I'm some, I'm some author walking around here. I'm so smart. <laughs> I can intellectually draw pair. No, what I've, what I view myself is this. I am a warrior. And what I mean is, a, you know, a warrior is defined as someone who understands that the war is within the war is within. And if someone can do that, they can reverse engineer that and help other people do that. So I know that no matter wow. what I do, whether it's writing books, going on TV, hosting my podcast, helping people with their business or podcast, I'm going to embody that mentality to that means to an end. Uh, my identity is I'm a, I'm a learner throughout my entire life. And the ego that I've built in now is I'm always going to be learning about things. Why? Because if I come across a problem, if two of my clients drop me, I'm going to tell myself, what do I need to learn to get out of this situation? What do I need to learn? And there's nothing negative that comes within that unless I don't learn anything. So if I'm in a spot in a day where I'm complacent, I'm just like laying around and I don't learn anything, not, that's what would be me sort of dropping my identity. And so the, wow. the key to this is to create an identity that is true, that is universal across many different areas of your life and can be sustainably grounded by saying that you're a learner, by saying that I'm a truth seeker. No matter what I do, I am going to follow the truth. I'm going to seek the truth. I'm not going to lie whether that's in my business or my podcast. If you create your ego, your identity around that, you are not going to be crippled by the, 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 the negative criticism. However, wow. I will say that like, you know, everything I said is awesome, but I still struggle with this too. Everybody still struggles with this. This is, this is like the, the psychological reality of what it means to be a human being in the first place. We constantly have these different parts of our brain. And like, for example, this word that I mentioned, the ego, they've done brain scans and they've shown that your ego is in your lateral prefrontal cortex. So they've actually said that like in the survival part of your brain that is always on for the most part, that is where your ego lives. That is the, the sort of ego that creates an identity that may be true or false. And here's the thing. A lot of the times, Billy, we create these identities. We create these egos to mask ourselves from one of the first questions you asked me, which is the truth of our lives because it's so painful. So I would rather embody this identity, this mask unconsciously in my head because I know that it's going to you know, make me feel good for five years, or I'm going to do this and it's going to be easier for my life because I want to avoid the pain. I want to avoid the truth of my life. So, so where does ego relate to self-confidence then and confidence? Because going into <laughs> sales, going into anything really without confidence, you can't succeed. So where do you see ego relating to confidence? Yeah, man. So this is super interesting. So I actually wrote a book not a book. I mean, I did write a book, but there's a, there's a chapter in my book. It's called false confidence and it's called false confidence slash mask. So, I mean, dude, I'll tell you like a lot of people in sales, like, dude, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of well-known, uh, people, uh, in the influencer space who do a lot of sales 
And dude, if you talk to their sales teams, most of them are all on drugs. And like, I don't mean that to like insult anyone or generalize anybody. Yeah. But the reason why I say that is because a lot of people don't really understand what true confidence is. And it's still in this identity of like this egoic bravado. I can't show any kind of weakness. I have to know exactly what it is I'm talking about. When you're in that, that's just not sustainable. And you're going to be doing drugs. You're going to be in some sort of other kind of addiction to, to do that, to then be able to like artificially fuel yourself for the time being. And so if you want true confidence, that's not being egoic. And like, I'll tell you, man, like literally all of the billionaires that I know are the most humble people, but yet are extremely confident, but they don't live within their ego. They're never trying to one up someone. They're always humble because they know that if you are trying to use your ego to show to someone else that you're confident, that by definition means you're not confident because you are trying to present, portray yourself as some sort of an artificial mirror to who you are not. But the people that notice the best and they're confident like deep down inside of themselves, when they are by themselves, when they're alone, when they don't have any validation, that's real confidence. Like when you're, when you're not on your phone, when you are, um, when you are, you know, not surrounded by people who are telling you you're awesome, you're so great, which is a lot of the times like a big trap of like social media, because now we have access to the internet. So many of us get stuck in just receiving this validation. And the truth is that it's addictive. But if you're able to understand that that's not what makes you as a person yeah. and you create an identity that can get other forms of validation that's not reliant on the world, that is true confidence. So like, for example, when you meditate, that is a way that you build validation for yourself, not for anybody else. Right. Well, like, yeah, I guess you could say like, yeah, I meditated today, but I don't really think anyone cares. But when you do that, not only are you proving to yourself that you did something that you've checked off, you, you took one step to get closer to the person who you want to be, but then also like, there's also a very real uh, neuroscientific uh, representation of this. And they've shown, for example, when people meditate, all of your neuro neurotransmitters in your brain, from serotonin, which is responsible for your mood, to dopamine, which gets you to do things, to oxytocin, yeah. which gets you to connect and feel loved, your brain literally does a deep dive and it cleans itself with all of those neurotransmitters. And so you can really see like at a scientific level too, when you do these things like meditate, your brain is giving itself validation. And that is a major part of it. And so the truth is, man, is that everyone struggles with this. I've met really successful entrepreneurs who also struggle with this. And this is really like, this is the last thing I'll say is that um, ego is a delicate dance. If you think to yourself like, oh, I just got rid of my ego. I just put my identity in here. My friend, you have created an, another ego for yourself. Unless you are constantly doing the work every single day, an ego is, it, it, your ego is, is a weed. So it's like you have a garden and an ego is not something that like you put the seeds in there by yourself. It is something that is a natural occurrence of being a human being. And again, I remember when I was um, speaking with, Jay Shetty. And, you know, he told me that one of the most powerful practices that he does 
is to look at his mind as if it's like a garden. And he does this after meditation. And I do the same thing after meditation, when your brain is opened up and it's prime. And essentially what you do is you look at what are the, the good seeds? What are the good flowers? What are the things that I'm trying to put in my life? What are the habits that I'm trying to put in my life? And then think, and then just be real raw and honest with yourself and just like be transparent with yourself and be like, dude, like, what am I doing that I know if I keep doing this or I keep thinking in this way, it's going to come back and it's going to, to bite me later on. Like, for example, you know, like yesterday, you know, I caught myself, I caught myself just, um, you know, like, just, uh, like repeatedly, not necessarily slacking off, but just like repeatedly not doing what I know I'm supposed to do. And I know that that's fine for a couple of days. We all have our, our days and bad yeah. times. But I know that if I keep doing that, my mind is going to build a habit of doing that all the time. And that's going to be a weed that starts off very small. And then what's going to happen is it's going to grow. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. And when what's going to happen? My good flowers that I already have that are strong and beautiful and powerful, that weed is going to grab that flower. And it's going to try to take it down to convert that into a weed. Yeah. And so that's also a super important practice that I would say because that is one of the greatest ways to build conscious awareness. You know, if you, if you don't meditate, but even if you do, we can think that like we have so much awareness of what's going on in our minds. And the truth is, is our mind is like a, a, a constantly shifting battleground. There are things that you're going to see in front of you. And there are things that are going to come 40 miles away, but they're in the background. And so if you can do this practice every day, you get proactive about it. And you're able to engage in this practice daily yeah. so that your ego, all of a sudden you don't wake up from an ego trip for years down the road, or you really do realize that, like, Hey, I, I am sustainably confident. I don't need this drug. I don't need this person to tell me I'm awesome. So, well, what was yeah, yours man. then? What was your pivot into this enormous confidence that has allowed you to interview billionaires that has allowed you to speak on the world stage, have this podcast from somebody who wouldn't even talk to somebody who now is constantly talking yeah. with big people on a daily basis. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, man, was, I think the biggest thing was like, when I experienced social anxiety for 10 years, that became my ego. That became, Hey, this is who I am. I'm just not going to talk to people. So ego and that is a good or a, and a bad thing, which I don't think a lot of people see. Ego can be exactly, good. And bad. Exactly. 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 Um, and, and like, dude, if I didn't, bro, if I didn't have an ego, there's no way I, I, I would have been able to write my book. If I didn't have an ego, there's no way I'd be able to host my podcast. Ego is the thing that actually gets you to hustle a lot of the times, not entirely, but it is part of the equation. So if you try to delete it, you're just going to get uh, messed up by it. But anyway, so I lived in this ego and I, I took what my brain told me, my anxiety personally. So what that means is like every time that my brain had an anxious thought, I was like, wow, I really suck. Like I'm such a terrible person for thinking this. However, once I began to understand neuroscience, that began to give me a level of objectivity that completely made me able to work on my life and motivate myself as if I was a science project. It went from, hey, I'm this broken thing that I'm like this because God hates me for moral and ethical reasons to, hey, I just learned about serotonin, the neurotransmitter. Hey, I just learned about oxytocin. Hey, I just learned that, uh, did you know that 90% of serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter that does a lot of things in your body, 
from regulating your mood to your appetite, to your sexual desire, to your sleep. Did you know that actually 90% of that is in your gut microbiome, which is primarily controlled by your diet and what you eat? And so once I understood that neurotransmitters, your brain is essentially this pharmacy that creates the living experience that when I open my eyes today, I experience. That's what life is. Life is a series of brain chemicals that your brain is constantly firing to create this vivid reality that we see. When I understood that, my entire life changed because I was able to frame it of like, hey, I'm going to experiment. I'm going to try this thing and look at myself more as a science project, more of like, oh, I, I hate myself. I'm in shame. I, I'm a loser. I'm never going to be able to do this. No, I'm a science project. Let me try to experiment. I'm working and, on and myself, this, yeah. And this is the last thing that I'll say, man. I know I've talked a lot. We've gone over, but um, the last thing that I'll say is about six months, eight months after I had like a real catalytic moment in my transformation. And once I started my journey, I think it was maybe about a year. Um, I forget, but I had this moment where I, I, me and a friend of mine, we were living together and we stepped outside to go for a walk. I step outside, we go for a walk and um, I look up and, and all of a sudden, I shit you not, I feel like I look up, I see a tree and this was in fall time. So that the trees like colors were changing. I shit you not. I feel like I saw a color tree for the first time in my life. And what I mean by that is I literally got to a point where my vision literally shifted. All of a sudden life was way more clearer. I could see colors. They were like more colorful. And things were just much more positive. Things were much more sunny. And I know this sounds like total woo-woo. No, I Someone who's it, never experienced this. And like they've actually done studies that show people who have depression and anxiety where like when they look at their brains, yeah. uh, a lot of um, serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter that I just mentioned, this is a, a big, big thing that really um, controls people who have issues with depression and anxiety. They have shown that if you have, if your brain isn't producing enough serotonin or there's some sort of dysfunction, your vision will literally be affected by it and you will literally see the world in a less colorful place and a less friendly place. And so I'm not even joking. I used to see the world in a completely black, gray and white place. And every time I walked past a stranger, they looked upset. And now when I walk outside, I see bright colors. I see things that are clear and vivid. I walk around. I see people are smiling at me. Obviously, I'm not saying like everyone, there are still some yeah. people who frown and whatnot. But like this goes to show that like you your neurotransmitters, out. yeah, you can control your internal. And like that is when that happened to me, I was just like, oh my God, I just like, I made it over like a level. I, I like accomplished, I made it past some level and it's like, one of the most powerful things and the craziest part about this is I've had people who have listened to my podcast for like years who literally told me the same exact thing to them happened. And, and it's, and it's true. And like, I literally mentioned scientific studies in my book that reference this like scientific phenomenon of like this actually happening in scientific literature as well. And it's, it's proven. We know that the mind, our psychology, our, our neurobiology, um, our relationships, what we do, our biochemistry, our circadian rhythm, all these different things that we can push and experiment with. If you change these things, you can optimize your life 
to a point where you're not only just happy, you're able to live in the present moment. Oh my God, I remember never living in the present moment ever. You're able because of that to be like 10 times more productive than yeah. anybody else in your industry because you're actually, your brain and your mind is working properly. And it's, uh, it's truly powerful, man. And it's, um, it's truly something that I'm you know, dedicating my life towards because it's, it's just so important for people to know about whether they're entrepreneurs or, or whether they may or may not be entrepreneurs and they suffer from anxiety, depression, or they're just like a normal person who wants to upgrade their brain because this stuff is so, so, so important because it, it controls every area of your life, your business, your relationships, your happiness, your health, everything. So I hope this was beneficial no, for your it, audience. No, it absolutely was beneficial a hundred percent. And I think the biggest takeaway that I've been able to get from it is that you see these people who've managed to be successful. You see these people who've managed to create abundance and wealth and all this stuff. And there's so many other things that people attribute that to maybe their hard work, their effort, their networking, their connections. But the biggest thing that we've found from every guest, we talked about having a why, but I think there's a bigger overarching thing here that we're seeing and that it's all up here. And the first thing before you can do anything is how you can manage to train your mind and how you can manage to actually make your mind work for you and not against you. And so, Mark, honestly, we didn't even get into podcasting. We didn't even get into the way. Next time, bro. Next time. We'll have to have you on again, honestly, because there's so much value. Hopefully in person. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to have you on. There's so much value you shared here. The absolute epitome of what this podcast is about, inspiring young aspirers. And you've, you've, you've been able to do that massively for me today and I hope for the audience as well. Mark, not that you need it. You're building a massive following already, but where can people find you? Yeah, what I would say is um, if you go to LinkedIn and you search my name, Mark Metry, send me a personalized connection request and say that you came from this podcast and I'll accept your connection request and uh, you're free to message me. Or if you even like go to my website, markmetry.com, there's also a chat section. So yeah, I'd definitely love to hear from people for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And if you're struggling with anxiety, you know his book, Scrooby and Shy. I haven't read it yet. Yes. I'm definitely going to read it. Um, he's definitely a leader in this space from somebody who's been through it. So learn from the people who've done it, not the people who say they've done it. And this man has definitely done Ooh, that. So fire. <laughs> <laughs> to everybody else. This is a killer podcast. A killer podcast. <laughs> you know that. To everybody else, give me a follow up, Billy Garton Jr., Make sure to subscribe and leave a review of the Inspiring Young Aspirers podcast. We are having some unbelievable chats here and the way we are going to continue to grow and bring better and better guests on and people who are going to speak inspiring stories like Mark has been able to today is only with your support. And so continue to subscribe, continue to leave reviews, continue to follow this journey to the top. We've said it once, we've said it twice, we've said it a million times. We're going to the top 25, baby. <laughs>